Uh, awesome. How many people here are cat people? How many cat people? Give me a wave. If you're a cat person, stand, give me a show of hands. By show of hands, cat people. All the cat people in the house go meow, meow. How many people are not cat people? You're dog people. All the dog people. Look your private parts. No, don't do that. Uh, that's what dogs would do. How many cat people, by the way, cat people? Come on, stand up for yourselves. Meow, meow. How many dog people? Yeah, 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 yeah. How many people, how many people, okay, how many, how many Coca-Cola people? How many Coca-Cola people do you have here? Just, yeah, just a handful of people like, well, no, I'm many sugar-free. You're not. How many Coca-Cola people, right? Okay, how many Pepsi people? Really? I didn't know there was actually going to be such a thing as a Pepsi person, but that was sort of a joke one, right? It's a joke. How many people are, if you going to have a hot drink, it's going to be a cup of tea? How many people a cup of tea? Cup of tea, oh, something like, oh, I don't know, oh, now I'm thirsty. Uh, a cup of coffee, how many people, it's coffee, it's got to be coffee, it's got to it's gotta be coffee. How many, okay, how many rugby league people in the room? How many people, how many rugby union people here? Okay, rugby league, what do you got, what do you got, rugby league? Yeah, rugby union. Yeah, yeah, I would have expected a bit more volume from the league people, a bit more volume. Okay, okay, how many football people? Come on, Jack. Yeah, 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 yeah. What kind of, what do you mean football? What do you mean football? I mean actual football. Yeah, 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 yeah. NFL, it's not even a sport. It's not even a sport. Anything you can play fully dressed in a suit like that, it's not a sport. It's not a sport. Um, what about, um, I just don't think, what, what, okay, how many Holden people? How many Holden people? This is perhaps more middle-aged man type of territory now. Uh, Chad's a Holden person. How many, yeah, Tipo, Holden person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how many Ford people? Okay, okay. Yeah, just you know, some people are like, oh, I'm not really into cars or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Do you know, it's funny, isn't it? It's funny how tuned in we are to what we're into. We're, we're, tuned, we're tuned into what we're into. We're, 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 we've got a, you know, if I, if, you, if I was to quiz you, if I was to test you on what you're into, you would be able to get 100%. You know exactly, exactly not just whether you want tea or coffee. How many people you really need to make it yourself? Like if I said, I'll make you a cup of tea, you're like, mm, oh. how many people know it's great when you go to a friend's house where you're, there, you're there comfortable, you're just making your own tea, right? Because you want exactly how you want it, right? Uh, you know, we're tuned into, we're so tuned into what we're into. We know what songs we like. We know what food we like. We know what we want to do with our spare time. But the question is, how many of you would pass that same test if the questions were somebody, about somebody else? If you were to do the same test about uh, cats and dogs and Fords and Holdens and tea and coffee, uh, Pepsi and Coca-Cola. Have you seen those quizzes on Facebook? I've seen them. I've never done one of those. Uh, my true friends will be able to answer these questions. And it's got, you know, all those questions. How many people do those? Don't put your hand up. If you don't. I can find out on Facebook whether you do it or not. But the question you've got to ask yourself is, uh, how, how many of us are, can answer all those questions for ourselves? But maybe, maybe even our very best friend, we're going to start getting some questions wrong. How many people reckon, actually, even for your best friend, you'll get some questions wrong? Anyone prepared to admit that? Yeah, yeah. How many people, like for your mum or your dad, even your mum or your dad, the people who brought you into the world, would you still get some questions wrong? How many people have ever bought your dad just the worst present ever? Because you're at the shop and you're just like, 
if this is impossible, I'm just going to buy this. I don't know what this is. You buy it, you wrap it up, you take it home, and it ends up, it, it's like one of those scoops for scooping poos out of a, a cat, a cat litter tray. Anyone done that specific thing? No. Right? You know, you buy something and you say, oh, you know, because actually you're not that connected with what someone else's needs are, someone else's uh, desires are. I reckon, what about if you were to, what about, what about if you were, what about if you were to answer those questions for the people living next door to you? See, Jesus tells this story in the Bible. He, he tells the story and, um, well, it's really, he answers this question, first of all. He, someone asks him this question, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. How many people remember that? It sounds like a Jesus type of thing, isn't it? Yeah, Peter acknowledged that. Sounds like a jesus sort of thing to say. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, your strength. And he's quoting Deuteronomy. And then he says, the second commandment is like it, but it's, you know, and he says this, is that you need to love your neighbor as yourself. And then someone in the crowd calls out from the back, some cheeky mongrels in the back calls out, and Nossa's in the back of the crowd, and he goes, yeah, but who is my neighbor? Like that which is one of those questions that you might ask if you're a Jewish scholar at the time. Because they had this term. They had this term called neighbor. And, and uh, probably if you're from a, a Pacific background, you'd understand what they would term neighbor. Someone who was your neighbor was really someone who's part of your whanau or, or maybe slightly bigger than whanau. It's, it's really someone from your cultural, not just your cultural background, but your cultural background, right? So it's someone from your sort of area, maybe someone from your iwi. Uh, and that would be your neighbor, right? And within Eastern cultures, within ancient Eastern cultures throughout the Middle East, there was this thing called neighbor obligation. Now, you'd understand that if you're from a family that is tight. How many people are from a tight family, right? If someone dies, we're all there, right? How many people from that sort of family? Like if someone's dead, we're all there. We've never met the dead person. We've, we, we don't remember that. How many people have been to a funeral where you don't actually know who was fu- whose funeral it is? Yeah, you've just like, well, it's a family thing. There's, some, there's a box. I'm assuming there's a body in it. Right, and we're going to eat a lot of food, and we're here for a few days, right? You've been to a funeral like that? How many people have not been to a funeral like that? Yeah, yeah, there's quite a different color differential between who's been to one and who's been to the other, right? Except for Duncan, but he was from the bad part of Palmerston North. <laughs> right? he, he's, he's not just been to funerals, he's caused funerals. You've got to stay away from him, right? <laughs> people underestimate Duncan, he's dangerous, right? But here's the thing, Jesus says, Love your neighbor as yourself. And then, then Anusa's at the crowd and he shouts out from the bow, who's my neighbor? Like that. Anusa's like, man, could we make it? Could we narrow this down? Right? Could we make this simple? Like, okay, so is it just the person who lives next door? Because that's what, you know, in my culture, your neighbor is the person who lives next door. And you know them because you see them on rubbish days. You don't see them any other time. You see them on rubbish days because you're both bringing your bags out at the same time. Right. How many of you have got neighbors and you see them only then? You, you see them on rubbish day, right? You, maybe you see them sometimes, but other times. But mainly it's just like there's, uh, uh, you see them and you, and you say this. How many people say this to their neighbors a lot? You know, it's pretty powerful communication, isn't it? <laughs> Who's my neighbor? This guy calls out from the back. And then Jesus does what Jesus does best. 
He ignores the question and tells a story. He says, a man's traveling down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, here, let me, get this, let me tell you this straight. Only a fool travels by themselves from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's like the worst road. It was the worst road. That's like a man's traveling from Otrahonga through to Narawa here. It's like the worst place you could possibly drive, right? He's traveling from Wanganui to Jerusalem, right? Uh, the modern-day Jerusalem, right? That's a bad bit of road, right? This was like a, anyone know what I'm talking about? You don't drive that road, right? <laughs> Come on, me and James is having a bit of a special Wanganui time. The man goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, only a fool's going to do that. Only a fool's going to do that. He's traveling there. He's probably on business. Anyway, he gets robbed. And the reason he gets robbed is because everyone gets robbed traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho in Jesus' day, right? And so the crowd's like, yeah, a fool travels from Jerusalem to Jericho. Fool gets robbed. Happens every day, right? And then the story carries on, and it says they're walking along the road. So this guy gets robbed. He gets beaten. He gets left for dead on the side of the road. And walking along the road, first of all, comes a Levite, right? Now, if we were to translate Levite into the modern context, the best possible description of a Levite nowadays is a worship leader. A worship leader is coming past, right? So the worship leader walks past. The Levite's job is to serve in the temple. The Levite's walking past. And as he's walking along, he sees the guy who's been left for dead. And now the guy who's been left for dead is a Jew. He's part of the family. He's part of the whanau. And instead of helping, he crosses to the other side of the road. So he sees somebody in need, and what does he do? Does he shorten up the distance between him and the person in the need? No, he doesn't. He extends the distance. Here's a person in need. How close are they to me? Well, however close they are, I'm just going to create a little bit of distance. And he walks by on the other side of the road. The next person comes along is a priest. Now, that's a pastor. That's a leader in church. The priest's walking along the road. The priest sees the very same man. This is the dumb man, the fool, who went from Jerusalem to Jericho. The fool got robbed like all fools do. It was his own fault, and that's why he's in need. Right? How many people love helping people who deserve to be helped? This guy didn't. He's an idiot. The priest sees the man the priest is a Jew, the man is a Jew, same family, same tribe. He sees the guy there and does he shorten up the distance between him and the man in need? No, he extends the distance. He's a person in need. How close do I, is this person someone I should help? Is this person I need, is this someone I personally have an obligation to? He creates some distance, walked on the other side of the road so that he could, maybe so he could tell himself, I didn't really see him. Maybe so he could tell himself, oh, I thought that person was an Arab. I thought that person was an Egyptian. I thought that person was a Nubian. I thought that person was from some other culture. I thought that person was someone with whom I don't have a mutual obligation to help. The, this was the law. Now, we use the word law. When we think of law, we think a law gets made in parliament and it gets enforced in the courts. In the ancient world, law was spelled L-O-R-E. And it was about family and society and health and community. And law wasn't written down and it wasn't made by them. It was made by us and it was how we live and it was how we honor each other. And law, L-O-R-E, some of you know what this is like. Law is enforced by families, not by courts, not by policemen. 
He's got an obligation in relationship because of family. He's got a blood relationship. He's a Jew. The guy on the side of the road is a Jew. He creates a distance that's artificially big, crosses to the other side of the road, and moves on with what he's supposed to be doing. Why would he do that? Why would a Levite do that? Why would a priest do that? There's a couple of reasons. One of the reasons they might do that is because the guy might actually be dead. Which would mean, which would be a hassle for the Levite. It would be a hassle for the priest. Because if the, if, if the priest is supposed to be serving God, right? And the Levite is supposed to be serving God. And so they've got this obligation, this family obligation to this person who's been beaten. But they've also got this special relationship with God. And if they were to come into contact with someone who's actually dead, or maybe who's someone who's uh, ceremonially unclean, that would mean that they can't then relate to God. See, we even listen to the story and we think, well, the priest walks by on the other side of the road and the, and the, and the Levite walks by on the other side of the road. We think, wow, that's crazy. Surely a worship leader would stop and help. Hey, Emma. Uh, yeah, the worship leaders in this church would. Surely the pastor would stop and help. That's less likely, but it could still happen. But see, the, the, the people listening to Jesus' story, they were just like, oh, yeah, that would sort of make sense because they've got to, they've got to serve God. Because they're serving God, they can't actually stop and deal with a situation that might be unclean because that would mean they could then, then couldn't serve God. And see, Jesus is challenging this religious notion that what we do for God is somehow separate for the person on the side of the road. Jesus is drawing the distance together and he's pointing out to them that this, the ludicrous nature of their religion that says, I can relate with God and I can worship God, but it doesn't have to affect how I relate with people on a horizontal level. It doesn't have to affect the people that I walk past on the side of the road. Jesus is challenging them in a way that at the time when they were listening to the story, their, their minds would be, have been blowing. They, their, their, their ideas about right and wrong and clean would be broken because they, they can understand understand this, this person's got this, this family obligation, but they've got this spiritual duty that somehow overrides the family obligation. And Jesus is saying, no, the, come on, the family obligation, there's something powerful about it. And then Jesus, and Jesus goes on. The guy's still on the side of the road. And then there's another person coming. We've seen the Levite go past and we've seen the priest go past. Apologies, it might have been a priest first and a Levite next doesn't affect the plot line. Next along comes a guy called a Samaritan. And when we think of the word Samaritan now, because of this story Jesus said, we think of a good person and a helpful person. A Samaritan, a good Samaritan, someone who has good deeds, but it's not what the word means. You see, the Samaritans were, if you know your Bible history, which I know I'm talking to a knowledgeable crowd here, Nusa will tell you if you asked him who a Samaritan was. A Samaritan, these were like, um, there's no really kind way of describing how the Jews thought about the Samaritans. Remember, it's a Jew who's on the side of the road. And then along comes two Jews walk past them. And along comes a Samaritan. And see the, Samar see the Jews, how many people know how many tribes there were in Israel? There's 12 tribes in Israel. And how many people know that the Jews is only one tribe? And, and, and 11 tribes actually got lost. They've been misplaced in history. 
What happened was that the, the, all 12 tribes, the, the Israelites first and then the Jews, who was the 11 tribes and then the one tribe, they got taken away into captivity. And the Jews came back from captivity and rebuilt Jerusalem. But the 11 tribes, which are the Israelites, they never quite sort of made it back out of captivity. A few would drift back. A few would get left over. And what happened was the Israelites, the, you got the Jews who became the, the Jews we know of, who Jesus came through, these Jewish people. They had the law, and they were devout, and they were focused on their worship. They were religious, and they were careful. And then you've got these other people, the Samaritans, and they're like half Israelites. They've got this tenuous connection to God because they were sort of part of this lost tribes. Uh, but then they would also, they'd also sort of interbred with all the other tribes. So they were like a, a racial mix and a religious mix uh, and a sort of a cultural mix. And they had sort of weird worship practices. There was a, a mixture of ancient Hebrew worship and a mixture of Babylonian worship. And they would light incense and then they would make sacrifices, but they would do it up on the mountains and they would worship Baal and Asher and God of Jacob. They would do all of this mixture. So this guy's a Jew who's been beaten and along comes a Samaritan. And the Samaritan stops and he, and he helps this guy on the side of the road. He dresses his wounds, and then he picks the guy up, and he puts him on, on his own donkey, and he carries him through to the next town. When they get to the next town, they stop at an inn, and the Samaritan, the person with no obligation, but was just walking past, helps this guy out. Where those with the actual family connection didn't bother, this Samaritan helps him out, helps, tends his wounds and then takes him to an inn. He gives him a place to stay and he gives a bunch of money to the innkeeper. And he says, come on, this money is for looking after this, this guy who's been on the side of the road. And he said, when it's run out, uh, just keep looking after him because I'll be back through here on, the, on my return journey and you know that I'm good for it. I'll, I'll cover it. And then Jesus just this, asked this question, who was a neighbor to the guy who's on the side of the road? Who was a neighbor the Levite wasn't a neighbor. Oh, but the question, the issue is this. The Levite was a neighbor. But Jesus is saying, no, he wasn't a neighbor. And, you know, all the people listening were like, but hey, they were neighbors. They're both Jews. And the priest, the priest wasn't a neighbor. This is what Jesus, the point Jesus is making. But all the people listening would have been like, no, no, the priest is a neighbor. The priest is a Jew. The guys are Jew. They've got connection. They're family. That's the family of God. But the issue is this, that Jesus is saying the person who was the neighbor was the person who acted out in the love of God. The person who actually made it real. Not the person who had some sort of connection, who had some sort of family relationship, but the person who acted, actually acted in service. See, we're so tuned into ourselves that when we see people in need, we can laugh at the story or we can think, man, that Levi and the priest were such hypocrites. But we do exactly the same thing. Whenever we see someone in need, we work through all the reasons why they're actually distant from us and there's someone that we don't need to help. We look through all the reasons why and we don't, we don't just say there's someone we don't need to help. We say that there's someone that we can't help. I walk past someone in need and I can quickly, without even thinking, I can make up all the reasons why I can't help that person. Number one reason why you can't help somebody is because you, can't, you don't have the resources. 
That's the number one thing you do. You walk past someone in need. You hear about someone in need. You can't help them, can you? Because you don't have the resources. Is that what you say? That's what I say. I can't help them. I don't have the resources. Number two reasons why you don't help someone who's in need is because you're scared of them. If I help them, they'll just want more help. Number three reason why you don't want to help someone who's in need is the same reason I don't want to help someone who's in need. I don't want to serve someone else because all of my resources are busy serving me. All of my energy goes to serving me. All of my, all of my focus, my decision-making is about serving me. This is how you do it. This is how you do it. Um, you start the day and you think, what do I need to do today? Then you make a list of your priorities. So you've got things you need to do, and then you put them in order of priority, and then you leave the house with a clear mental picture of what you have to do today. And then surrounding it all is your number one objective. Everyone's number one objective at the start of a day is that they would have what? I hope that I, you'd never voice this. But right through how you do your morning routine, whether it's breakfast or whether you, and you have a shower and you get out the door on time, and you get to the bus stop early, or you get to school early, or you get to, you get to the library early so you can get one of the good computers. It's all built around the premise that your energies from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed is all so that you will have a good day. And what does everyone ask you at the end of the day? Someone's ringing me. Don't call me whoever that was. What do did, what did people ask you at the end of the day? Did you have a good day? Oh, yes, I had a good day. Did you have a good day, Emma? Yes, I had a good day. Did you have a good day at school? Did you have a good day at university? Did you have a good day at work? I wonder if there's something a little bit bigger we could live for. Did you have a good day today? Yes, I had a good day today. Well done, you had a good day. Is that really enough? I wonder how we need to get out of bed. I wonder how we need to organize our priorities so that we get to the end of the day. Instead of just being able to say, oh, I had a good day or I had a bad day, we can say, I changed somebody's life today. Where we can say, I entered into someone else's world. I crossed across the road and I narrowed up the distance between me and a person in need. Do you know how you narrow the distance between you and a person in need? You identify the person in need and you move towards them. Hello, Silver. Is anyone awkward at your, at your work or your school? Anyone awkward? It's like, oh man, if you get in a conversation with Emma, whoa. you know, there's some, you know, how many people have got someone at your workplace, you just, man, you see them coming, you duck down lower than the cubicle height. <laughs> Right? Why? Because you're busy. You've got stuff to do. You've got this role to play in the workplace. You've got priorities. And you, and you can't get wrapped up in a conversation with X, Y, or Z person. You've got to get down alone and get past them, right? There's people in church that you avoid. I, I, I see, I'm coming near you and I see you avoiding me. <laughs> but come on, Jesus said, it's the greatest command, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Are we just like the Pharisee and the Levite and we think we can worship God and we can love God and there's not really a connection with this? I wonder if you could identify in your world who's someone you could move close towards next tomorrow. Who's someone you could move towards to make a difference? Who's somebody in need in your world? Well, there's no one really in need because no one's going to get beaten up tomorrow. No one's going to be left for dead. It's very unlikely that tomorrow you'll be walking to work and you'll see a man who was on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and who fell among thieves. Right? It's unlikely you're going to see someone, you know, dressed in a, a tea towel, a tea towel on their head, and a, and a dressing gown, carrying a shepherd's staff. You know, an Old Testament Bible character who's been beaten with sticks and on the side of the road. It's unlikely that someone's going to be like that on the side of Calvin Parade, just near Victoria University, and you'll be on your way. You're not going to get the opportunity to live out this exact scenario and do the right thing. But the reality is, that you're going to come across people whom life has beaten up. You're going to come across people who have been left for dead. They have left themselves for dead on the side of their own road and there are people in need and you can choose to move towards them or you can choose to move away from them and you can you, uh, I'm, from tonight onwards you can't move away from them and still think you're a worshipper of God because Jesus said our commandment is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves and then Jesus drew the biggest possible circle and said our neighbors include the people whom we hate that includes the people who we dislike. It includes the people who are racist against us and we're racist against them. It includes the people who are nothing like us. It includes the people who, 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 who worship wrong. It includes the people who eat wrong. It includes the people who dress wrong. Jesus said all of these people are our neighbor because Jesus connects us all together. As soon as we relate with Jesus, we become part of the family of God, which includes all of the creation of humanity. Every single person created by Father God, is your brother, is your sister, and you've got a family obligation that overrides your holy duty to get on and have a good day. And you might have a bad day tomorrow because you stopped to help somebody. But you could change somebody's world. You've got to serve. Number one, you've got to serve because it positions you for promotion. It focuses you on true purpose. It's not, it's not a life purpose to get through and have a good day and have enough good days that you save up enough money to buy a house and then you keep having good days so you can buy a BMW. That's not a life purpose. That's a lie. You're plugged into a matrix of your own making. You're just on a, on a treadmill. Don't, just don't get there. Don't just have good days and good days and good days. Have life of purpose where the kingdom of God comes through you and impacts the world around you in tiny ways, in massive ways. Serving, focus your life on real purpose. It directs you to joy. The secret to joy that people don't really understand is Jesus outlines joy. He said, it said, the Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I want more joy in my life. Do you really want more joy in your life? Why do people live lives without joy? Because they live lives without crosses. You get joy when it's in, joy's in front of you. It's just on the other side of your self-denial. 
It's just on the other side of your self-sacrifice. It's just on the other side of where you get beyond yourself and do something to serve somebody else. Cool? Serving makes you great. You've got to serve because it makes you great. It makes you great. It makes you great at your job. It makes you a great husband. Serving makes you great. Well, I thought working hard did. Have you ever met people who work really hard, but they've got terrible attitudes? They're not the people you want as the boss. Serving makes you great. Serving softens your heart towards others. Well, I can't really serve because I'm not one of those people who likes other people. I'm sort of more, I'm sort of more a hater. And haters going to hate, you know. So you're just going to embrace your calling. Come on, serving softens your heart towards others. And in so doing, serving softens your heart towards God. Serving other people is how you relate to God. When, when, on Judgment Day, and all the people are lined up, all the good, righteous, holy people are lined up. Jesus separates them all out. And a whole lot of good people go to hell on Judgment Day. Remember that. A whole lot of the good people go to hell on Judgment Day. Really? Yeah, lots of good people. They'll say things like this, but we prophesied. We led worship. I was a youth leader. I was a pastor. And Jesus says to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't get me a drink. When I was in prison, you never visited me. What is he saying? Do we have to go find hungry people and feed them? Yes, sort of. But it's not like we go, okay, I fed a hungry person. I visited the prison. And I found a thirst. Are you thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? You're thirsty? Okay, sweet. Oh, no, Jesus, I found a thirsty person. No, Jesus is saying, come on. You didn't have a heart that was passionately focused on the needs of others. You weren't focused on the people on the side of the road. You were focused on yourself. You were focused on prophesying and worshiping. You were focused on having a good day so you could save up for a house and get a good career so that you could be secure in your own strength. And then a whole lot of bad people get to go to heaven. Write this down. On Judgment Day, there are a whole lot of good people who go to hell, and there's a whole lot of bad people who go to heaven. That's why we're all, we all have hope in Jesus. A whole lot of bad people go to heaven, and they say to Jesus, Jesus, when did we ever? Do we really? Are we, I think you might have got it wrong. I don't know if we're supposed to be going to heaven. And Jesus says, yeah, because when, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they were like, Jesus, we never saw you hungry. And Jesus said, whenever you do it for the least of these, you do it for me. Interestingly, he didn't say whenever you do it for anyone. He said, whenever you do it for the least. When we honor the person who can't honor us. When we serve the person who can't serve us. When we reach out and help the person who cannot help us. The new person at school, the new person at work. When we work to make someone else successful and they can't help us. We're doing that directly for Jesus. And we're going to be the bad people who get to go to heaven. Because the grace of God touched us in a way that says, well, I'm not here to be super, something super special, but I can see somebody in need and I'm going to shorten the distance up and meet them where they're at. Musicians, why don't you come? Because we'll finish with a song of praise and party, party, party. I reckon, don't you reckon? Yeah. When you serve, it connects you in community. So serving positions you for promotion it focuses you on purpose. It directs you towards joy. It makes you great. It softens your heart towards others. It softens your heart towards God. It connects you in community. And lastly, when you serve, 
It softens your heart towards yourself. Probably your worst critic is you. Probably the person who like, dislikes you the most is you. And that's understandable. You know all the terrible things about you. And you've managed to keep those hidden from us. Right? That's called being smart. But when you, not when you serve. Now, when I say serve, you've got to understand I'm not talking about doing anything. Because serving is a spirit and attitude and a mindset. You can serve without necessarily doing anything. You can serve because you've got this heart that's for others. When you do that, when you embrace that sort of serving mindset, you set yourself free from your own criticisms. Oh, but I'm not a perfect Christian. But I can serve. I don't get it all right, but I can have a heart for other people. I don't really know the Bible and I forget to read it some mornings. But you but you can still be a blessing wherever you go. Do you know you could set yourself free from your own negative expectations of yourself by developing a heart of service? Do you know, um, on, on Sunday, last Sunday, I wasn't in the Paramount. I, I was there for setup, which is cool fun. And then I was like, oh, I better race out to, uh, I was preaching in Masterton. And whenever I go to Masterton, I'm like, it's an hour away. It's not, it's an hour and a half. So I was chatting with Dougal in the foyer and I was like, oh, flip, I better get going. Could jump in my car and start driving. I was like, oh, man, I've got to stop for petrol and a pie, obviously. <laughs> if you're on a bit of a road trip, can you buy petrol without pies? It's like, I can't. And so I was driving there and because I didn't have time to get changed, I got to Masterson, Equipment Church Masterson, at 10 minutes to 10. So there's everyone's there because they're all keen, being proper Christians, they're all at church. And I'm arriving in my set-up, pack-down clothes. Right? You've got to be here pretty early in the morning to get to see my legs, right? But I, although I had them out, it was 5 to 10, I had the, I had the hairy legs out, right? And people were like, whoa! I said, don't worry, I'm just getting changed. I got raced up to the pastor's office, got changed. And I preached a great sermon. I one I might preach it here. Um, if this, if you know, if you guys are really, if you really behave yourself, I'll preach it. It's awesome. I preached this great sermon, and then uh, four people responded to the gospel, which is just awesome. You know, and and you do the altar call, and and anytime you do an altar call and people respond, you see a person, and you see a person, and you see a person, and I'm just like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I, I actually know that person. That's cool to see them responding don't know that person maybe they're a visitor that's awesome and then there's someone over here that responded and I just thought man and I just said you know God's got to do something great in your world I just felt like something lifted my spirit when this person responded and then on Thursday just gone I had lunch with the, all the pastors so Pastor Graham uh, Pastor Richard from Ortaki and um, Pastor Dave came over the hill from Masterton and it's awesome it's always awesome because Pastor Graham's there and he tells a lot of hilarious <laughs> stories uh, and then uh, <laughs> and then he reads the menu And then he just has whatever we chose because he couldn't actually read the menu. He's, he's great. He, 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 pretends he, he pretends he can see perfectly. It's awesome. But it was cool. And I felt encouraged because I was, I was hanging out with people, you know, mature people. And I felt, you know, built up my faith. We were just talking about what God's doing. And Pastor Dave shared the test, this testimony. He said, oh, we had a person respond. And it was this lady on the left who'd responded. A middle-aged woman. I had not met her before in Masterton. And um, he said her kids brought her to church 
How cool is that? Like the little kids, I think an eight and a nine-year-old boy had brought her to church. And the kids have been coming for quite a few weeks because the Masterton Church, they do this thing where they text out everyone they know in the community. And they know a lot of people in the community because of some of the community programs they run. And they say, if you want your kids to come to church, text us back and we'll pick them up. And so they get their vans out from the Oscar program and they drive all around. The kids leaders drive all around Masterton, all around the whole of Masterton. They drive all around town and they just pick these kids up from people's houses and they take the sign-in sheet from the kids' program and they sign them up at the front door and the parents sign and they give them a receipt saying, yeah, this is where they are. We'll get them back at some time in the afternoon. And like that. And these two little boys, eight and nine, they've been coming to church for a few weeks on this text-out thing because they'd come to the Oscar program because for, for a wee while they'd been living with their grandma because mum had been unwell. This is the mum who'd responded. And she was in church for the first time because she'd She'd just come out of hospital. Who are the, you know, I don't know who the masters and kids leaders are. I know Pastor Nikki leads the team, but be a bunch of people who do lots of hours. And so they drive around Masters, and you know, most weeks they pick up two or three kids. And there's like four vans driving around picking people up. And because they've been picking these two boys up that were with grandma, mum came to church. And mum found Jesus. But mum had been in hospital for two months. That's why the boys were with the grandma. Because two months before, mum had been beaten almost to death by her partner and had 100 bones in her body broken. For two months, this person's on that side of the road. And the kids' leaders in Masterton narrowed the distance. A simple act of serving, a text message from the computer to all these families. Someone's grandma. Yeah, pick up these two boys, they're driving me crazy. And then these two boys bring mum to church. And that's the beginning of a story of a family transformed, of the love of God impacting a community that maybe you've never known Jesus before. And I just wanted to tell you that story for two simple reasons. Sometimes we think it's hard to change the world, but it's not. To change the world, all we have to do is stop crossing the road and just narrow the distance between ourselves and another person in need. You know, I preached a similar message this morning. Probably wasn't as good, but they put them two together. It makes a good little sandwich. I don't know about you, I'm inspired to serve after preparing these two sermons. I'm like, oh man, I'm going to get my serve on. But how many of you know if we we stir it up, it'll last till Wednesday. (laughs) And that's the disciplined one among us, the one among us. (laughs) If we just stir it up, Come on, let's be proper Christians. How can I serve you, brother? It's just going to be more creepy Christianness in the community, right? But come on, if we allow a G- Jesus, Jesus didn't cross the road, He came from heaven. Jesus didn't descend 
into the life of a broken person. He descended into evil humanity. Jesus comes from the throne room of heaven, right? Throne room of heaven. The fullness of God, the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell in Christ. He's in heaven, and then he's a naked baby. He didn't cross the road. He crossed every imaginable boundary to serve us with salvation, to serve us with freedom. Come on, we just need that Jesus living in us. We need to just allow that Jesus to well up within us. We need to allow the Spirit of Christ to stir us because we're never going to be able to do it by discipline, but we could do it by grace. We could narrow this distance by grace by saying, oh God, I want to serve you, but God flow through me. You could be real focused on serving tomorrow on Monday, or you could just say, God, flow through me in my workplace. Lord, help me see those opportunities to meet people's needs. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads, and we're going to pray, and then we're going to praise God before we charge out into our week. Perhaps you're here, and maybe you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus as your Savior. And I'm so glad you're here. If that's you, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you got to hear this message because Jesus is a Savior. He's a healer. He meets us in our brokenness. He meets us in our failings. He meets us in our failed attempts to look like we know what we're doing and look like we're onto it. And He repositions us in a place of safety. He sets us free from our sin. He sets us free from our bondage to human instincts. And He allows His Spirit to work in us. When when we receive the grace of Christ and trust in Him, we no longer live under the judgment of sin, but we now live under the righteousness and the freedom that can only be found in Him. So perhaps you're here and you've never made a decision to acknowledge Jesus. Or maybe you're here and in the past you've followed Him, in the past you've been a worshiper of God. But maybe, I don't know, for whatever reason, you've walked away from God. And you find yourself in church and this is an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I want to surrender my life again to you. I want to make you the Lord of my life. I can't promise to be perfect, but I can promise to trust you. I can choose to trust you. When we make this decision, either for the very first time or when we recommit our life to God, we allow the grace of God to flow in our world again. We, and, and we become a citizen of heaven instead of a citizen of hell. And our life is transformed in these sort of moments. So just now before we close, I'm going to pray in just a second. But before I pray, I'd love to know who's identifying with this prayer. Can I urge you, if you've not made this decision before, if you, or you know you need to make this decision again tonight, while everyone else has got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, it's just me looking. If you're, if you're wanting to acknowledge this moment, you want to identify with this prayer just before we pray. Why don't you just lift your hand right now before God and say, that's me. I'm choosing today to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. I'm choosing today to to ask His forgiveness. I'm choosing today to follow Him. If that's you, just give me a wave and and then we're going to pray in just a second. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. That's awesome over here. Thank you. Somewhere else on my left as well. That's awesome. One, two. Three, thank you, that's awesome. Four, five, six, seven, eight. Come on, is there anybody else here making the decision to say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus? Nineteen, that's awesome.
as you sit in there, everyone just open your hands. There's a real sense of God's grace. There's really, there's really nothing we can do to earn God's favor. Oh, Jesus. the love of God is impacting this room. Just respond to him. Say, yeah, Jesus, I need you. I just need you in my world.